This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. But Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. There he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. <laughs> Help me! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Command Center cave, I guess you'd call it. Man cave. Inside the Melon Law Studio, Melon Law with the 50 years of experience, the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators Melon Law, a full service legal service won't back down. And Crime Prevention protects us 365, and uh, we worry less with crime prevention. So contact them, maybe get a doorbell camera, cpss.net. And our mugshots, uh, McDaniel. And about 45,000 hits a month on the mugshots. If you believe it, unbelievable. <clears throat> well, we've got our phone line uh, open today. So you're willing to you call in about anything you'd like to call in about. We've had some uh, emphasis here recently on local situations, which are hopefully informative and hopefully um, help you understand uh, some of the issues that are consuming the uh, conversations at the coffee shop. So I want to continue a little bit about that because there's been a, a kind of, a wist, I call it wistful thinking, that somehow, some way, in terms of stats or something along that line, uh, <clears throat> we're going to be able to curb crime. Um, and so today's show, I've kind of looked into that. I've kind of uh, started looking into a, a researching what do you what do you call crime? What do you call the law? And you know what do you what law do you prosecute? And what law do you ignore? Um, it's a funny kind of a situation going on in one of the current counties here. I, I guess maybe we can queue it up later. I forgot to send it to to production. I didn't really think about it. But there's a county commissioner. Uh, I've forgotten the county. I think it's maybe Flagler County. Maybe I'm better. Off. Uh, stand corrected on that if I'm wrong, who's speeding in a Ferrari and um, jumps out and says well, to, the, to the police when they pull him over, I think he was doing like 20, 30 miles over the speed limit. Easy to do in those cars. You don't know how fast you're going. I used to have a friend who had a Porsche and God, I looked down, I think I was going 50 and I was doing 90. They're so smooth, so well built. So he gets out and he says, you know, I, I'm the, I, I run the county and the cop takes a look at him and says, what are you talking about? And uh, he says, I'm the chair of the county commission. So I don't know. It is sort of a, an application of the old adage, who's bored at the cabbage. It depends on who you are, whether you get a ticket or not. Now, as I understand that they, they did give him a ticket. But he also has a Mercedes, which he speeds around in. So he must have Boku money. Why would he want to be a county commissioner? Well, I don't know. There you are. But there's this um, concept that we can really do something about crime. And so here we have a feel-good kind of move, I call it, where once again, I want to revisit the uh, selection of Lonnie Scott as a, whom I know real well. One of the, uh, we have a funny relationship in the past. 
when I was running uh, for public office and Lonnie was running uh, uh, for public office. I think he was, I don't know what it was now, I can't remember, maybe the sheriff. Uh, Gainesville's son uh, printed uh, on the front page a uh, story about me, but they put up Lonnie Scott's picture. I didn't know it because I didn't take the paper, but I got a phone call real, real early in the morning of the day the paper came out. And his voice at the other end said, well, I don't mind if you don't mind. <laughs> Come to find out it was Lonnie Scott calling me. And Lonnie Scott's picture had been in Ward Scott's article. That's the Gainesville sunset for you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, we've, so we've got a kind of got a connection. We laugh about that. But, you know, Lonnie's been around law enforcement a long time. And, you know, there's two ways to look at this. Uh, he and Tony Jones been around law enforcement a long time. Things gotten worse. <laughs> I mean, Tony Jones, he's the one that okayed the hookah lounge rap session without a permit where somebody got shot on homecoming weekend two or three years ago in Gainesville. I mean, what kind of police chief is that? Um, so they've moved him over to something where he's supposedly now going to be able to uh, work with uh, young people. I, you know, good luck, you know. I mean, the Reichert House and all that, we, we, all, we know the history of that. We know the history of Tony Jones at the Reichert House and all that. So, you know, who are we kidding here, huh? Um, it's just, uh, it's counter counterintuitive anyway, when you have people like the communist commissioner, Cinco or whatever her name is from Cuba, um, who is graduated from one of our law schools and, and, and wants to demilitarize the cops. So... <laughs> I don't know how you can, you can uh, on the one hand, one hand giveth and the other hand taketh away. So I, I read this with a bemused kind of uh, attention that, um, uh, oh, well, you know, there's another feel good move. Now, on the other hand, these guys have been in a system. Um, you know, it's a pretty good, if you can survive the, the, the work, uh, you can retire in law enforcement with a very uh, right, right good, handsome monthly stipend. And, you know, all the insurance and all the above. So you've got a, you've got a pretty good deal there if you can survive it and put up with it. And one of the first things you learn, of course, if you're going to survive it, is kind of uh, not take any of it too seriously because it's so politicized. And if you get really earnest about it, look what happens. You try to really do your job and you mess up and you cross the line, you end up in federal prison for 20 years. And I'm thinking about uh, the guy Chauvin, over, I guess that's his name over there in Minneapolis. Um, you know, he didn't have any intent. He, he didn't, you know, murder is when you go out to intend to kill somebody, okay? I mean, go look it up. We got murderers walking around the streets all over the place here. We got people who tried to murder people walking around all over the streets here. I mean, really, who actually practice it as a way of life and get away with it. And, you know, if they don't get away with it, they get a slap on the wrist. Very few, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm I'm on, the, I'm on the, the board of Crime Stoppers. I know, I hear this stuff. And you can see it. I mean, come on. So we put Chauvin in the jug, state and federal, for 20 years. He never intended to kill anybody. And, you know, I would think you'd have to have intent. Now, you, you can go through and parse this out. There are such things as killings. There's such things as murders. There are such things as first, second, and third degree. But they just threw the book at Chauvin. Obviously, it's politicized. I mean, I, didn't, I, don't, I don't think, I don't know of anybody who would, who would 
honestly suggest that he set out to murder Floyd. I mean, that's why he got out of the car. That's why he, if he was going to do that, he'd taken out his, his service weapon and plugged him. Um, you know, it, it makes no sense. I mean, but that's the way it works. So I don't get all hyped up about these adjustments, if you will, in the legal world. Uh, and, but I did, it did cause me to go looking around to see what the deal was as to why uh, we had these kind of situations um, going on where uh, we maneuvered around with the uh, chiefs and all that business when actually uh, it, um, it, it little changed. It, it, it really, if anything changed, it got worse. Uh, some of the things that the guys are, you know, I've been meeting behind the scenes with some very high up people here about crime. Not ready to do the story yet, but I've been um, privy to some information that the public doesn't have. And, you know, it's fentanyl. Fentanyl is a big drug of choice now. And it's, it's coming in in huge amounts and it's coming across the border. And you see the battles going on there in those gangs in Mexico for territorial domination of that, of that, of that um, caravan to us. And, you know, if you want to look at the international stage, Putin sees all this and he's he really, I can see what he's doing. He's using Griner as an example. Griner wants to come in for a little recreation. I guess she, in her mind, views it as kind of a recreational drug. Uh, a drug is a drug is a drug, right? In the mind of the Russian. So Putin doesn't want the kind of crap going on in his country that is going on in the United States of America. It's rendered us really, um, it's neutered us. I mean, we're, we're impotent. We, we don't have any, we're, we're catalyzing each other. And he sees this as a wonderful opportunity. And so why wouldn't he make an, an example out of the basketball player? I mean, come on. If, if, if Chauvin can be a political pawn, then surely Griner can be a political pawn. I mean, she can be, the book could be thrown at her just as easily as a book was thrown at, at Chauvin and, and, you know, put her in the Russian jug for 10 years. And, but that sends a message to the other Russians that don't dare pull this kind of crap here. You'll end up like America. And, and I suspect that's one of the strong reasons why they're making a public spectacle of this. And the, of course, the irony is not lost on anybody that she in Capermnik style when she was here, protested America as a racist bunch of, uh, you know, slave masters and all that crap. And, you know, then when she gets over there and sees where the real totalitarian outfit it is, oh, my God, she wants old Uncle Joe if he can wake him from his nap. You know, I heard he's taking two-hour naps uh, on these trips to the Middle East. He just gets tuckered out. Um, and Obama's trying to shut up his former uh, personal surgeon who the public has said Uncle Joe needs to go. He doesn't know up from down. And Obama basically put a political hit job out on his, on his doctor and said, you know, you, you shut your trap on that. And, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, so the truth won't prevail in that situation, but the people see it. So uh, here we have uh, the arbitrary nature of the application of the law, the politicalization of it, and it's, it's just to uh, add up with it. Uh, if you if you take that as a prime as a as a as a self evident truth to borrow a phrase from the uh, from the Declaration, 
if you take that as a self uh, a self evident truth, then you understand what what's going on with Trump. Uh, it's all political, and it's an attempt to, uh, in this case, the enemy is really the one trying to do away with the enemy. The enemy is the one of the country. The enemy of the country is the one running the the uh, the, the, the Inquisition. That's what fifty percent of the people in this nation believe. So. Uh, you've got a real kind of problem here, and Putin watches it and licks his chops. So when Mayor Lauren, how low can you go, Bowtie Poe, uh, a boy named Lauren, said, and I'm quoting from the Sunset article written by Henderson, uh, uh, that he was pleased with both appointments and that Scott is more qualified to head the department without the interim title. You know, you know, so what? So what? That's, more, that's the most political, vacuous verbiage on the face of the earth. And, and then, how low can you go, Bowtie Poe says, oh, he's such a veteran. He knows the community really well. He has the respect of the rank and file. Really? You know, take a look at the shootings. Take a look at the everyday shootings of the young gangs. Take a look at the drugs. Take a look at the sex trafficking. It's all over the community. You don't hear about it. I've been briefed on it. I'm trying to figure out a way to do it, do the story. I mean, it, you know, you can see the tip of the iceberg every once in a while. So you, you'll read or hear about on Channel 20 or, oh, somebody got plugged and, you know, hey, that's the way it's going. And I don't know that these guys, I mean, they know these guys. Tony Jones went to school with these guys, okay? He knows them from childhood. <clears throat> I mean, you know, it's, it's not a very big community to get down to it on that level. Like I said yesterday, uh, Kramer and, and Cornell were little boyhood chums, you know? Uh, and so well, how's all that work? How's all that work? So I don't know. Take this, you know, and, and, and you know, put it where it needs to be put. Maybe it's at the back of the closet. Uh, all this member of this organization and that organization uh, doesn't mean a darn thing. Um, it, all that is is just window dressing. It means nothing. Uh, it really doesn't. I mean, can you go out? You know, you, st you, you outlawed stop and frisk, which worked. The last time New York was, was safe was when Giuliani was the mayor. Call in line is... Let me see if I can see it. 352-707-9101. Okay, we changed it from the last time. So 352-707-9101. Anytime you want to give a ring. Hello, Mark. Hey, good morning, Ward. I'm surprised you haven't been washed away because when I do the weather, I'm going to talk about Virginia. How close are you, sir, to uh, – let me look at the place um, – was it Buchanan County? What is that, my man? That yeah, guy? it's Buchanan County. That's that's way way west of me over there, kind of in the, between the Blue Ridge and the uh, Appalachians over there. Yeah, they they finally found all forty people, but there was hundreds of houses tore up over there, washing out them uh, them hollers up there. <laughs> wow, it's pretty close on the West Virginia border. Well, it's a different. I know those those that's the states of North Carolina all run quite a bit east and west. So, it's, and that's how it divides up in terms of dem 
demographics. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought of you because at the weather at the bottom of the hour, I'm going to do a little bit of a story on that. It looked as if it really was a heavy duty flood. Was it not eight inches of rain? Yeah, it was. It was pretty substantial over there. But what gets me is there's about four counties, my county included, Brunswick, Mecklenburg, Dinwiddie, maybe Halifax. We're just sitting in a dry slot up here, and we're one of the few places in the state right now that's actually in the dry to extremely dry mode. So when Richmond and them get three and four inches of rain like he did in Charlottesville this morning, uh, we're getting absolutely nothing down here. But we did, over a five-day period, suck up two inches of rain, which really helped the corn. What I wanted to talk about, though, was uh, something that was just uh, run through the courts in uh, North Carolina, since I listened to North Carolina Station all day. The uh, courts down there ruled against the Green Party because the state election board said that they had improper signatures uh, on their petitions to get the Green Party on the ballot in November. But they sent it back to them knowing they wouldn't have time because the Democrats are trying to play a game on the Green Party knowing they're going to lose votes. But the court ruled that you have to verify the signature on a petition for it to be legal, but you do not have to verify the signature on an absentee ballot for it to be legal. Now, you go figure that stuff, Ward. And, and it was a three-to-two vote. All uh, on the Democrats' uh, side in the courts. Repeat that one more time, because uh, for the folks that were sleeping over their coffee cup, and that's a perfect example of what we're talking about. Uh, you don't have to verify the signature on one, but you do on the other. Can you run through that again? Yeah, what uh, the court ruled down there uh, on the Green Party that. The Green Party did not verify the signatures of all the, the petitions in order to go on the ballot in November. But they also ruled that they don't have to verify the signature on an absentee ballot for it to be illegal during the election. So it's, it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of, and they had a good discussion on the radio early this morning about that. Mark, thanks a lot. And it's Democrat program. run. Yeah, thanks it's a Democrat lot. run. But... Well, okay. what, they're, what they're trying to do is, is, I imagine Democrats, is prevent what happened back when um, there was a Green Party that kind of threw them off. Remember, sucked a lot. Who was that guy's name that was a big advocate for the green environmental stuff? Uh, I've forgotten his name. I, I can't remember that. I can't remember that, but... Uh... You know, it just it goes to show you. And another thing that I didn't know, the Green Party had hired uh, uh, companies to go down and get the petitions signed to turn them in. Well, come to find out that a lot of those people that worked for those companies that did it, uh, let's say, a half-assed job of it and didn't get, get all the T's crossed and the I's dotted are actually uh, Democrat operatives. In the boot, so <laughs> ah. you hire a Democrat to work for the Green Party, and they they literally shaft you. Uh, well, they're trying to keep that Green Party from sucking 
votes away from them because there's a battle within the Democrat Party about how much of the support they want to throw towards the um, radical left with the climate change stuff because they feel it's not going to really fly. And it's reached kind of a point of diminishing returns. So I can see it's interesting, a civil war kind of over that inside the Democrat Party over what to do with these extremist environmentalists. Yeah, the, the only reason they can't keep the Libertarian Party off the ballot is because they get enough percentage of the votes to keep them actively engaged in there. I just thought I'd pass that along to you, Ward, and I'm going to hang up and uh, listen to the rest of the show. Well, that, that was very interesting. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much. And that was uh, whom we finally call, uh, refer to as Plantation Mark. He's the real deal. He's, he's growing his own food. He's wired into all the... Uh, communication systems, and he's in the woods, and it's just really the most interesting kind of uh, a way to connect your life with nature and, of course, the sophisticated use of the internet. And he's a big supporter of this show. We had 10 more marks, we'd probably be in the White House. So um, anybody who wants to uh, follow his lead, you're welcome to do so. We'd love it. Um, so we're talking about, and he's really talking there about some political strategy and maneuvering that you know, some people who get into politics and never been in it before, they just don't realize what it takes to fight these kind of wars. This is not all cookies and milk. Uh, you know, you're not this whole thing about sitting down in the local uh, morning coffee shop and have dunking a donut and having a conversation with the good old boys. is just really, as I say, for show. It's not how it's going to get done. Uh, it's going to get done with. Uh, all sorts of combat strategy, really. Political activity is much like war. I mean, it is a, it is a war. And you try to destroy the enemy. And you can see right now with the January 6th, uh, and you have, you have people who betray you. Uh, the Cheney woman from Wyoming, Wyoming may not get reelected because Wyoming is one of the most absolute Republican territories. They are rugged individualists. Uh, they... they um, they are out there in the Wild West. They love it. And they don't want to be around these softies in the city and all this uh, sort of uh, ideology that you see that allows a, the a guy who can't ride a horse to actually uh, sleep under the overpass and, and shoot up with drugs. They don't want to have that stuff in their world. And they see Cheney as a turncoat. And I, I, you know, a lot of people do. I mean, this is a Republican woman trying to actually uh, file charges against a Republican president. Unheard of. It's what I was talking about the other day when, you know, Kramer Republican is going to support Cornell, a Democrat. It, you know, it is in real purest party politics. It doesn't happen because, you know, you've got to understand it's all hands on board. Everybody's got to be pulling the rowers, oars in the same direction if you're going to get the, the, uh, the, the craft through the water. So because uh, every all kinds of look at this. Look at the dirty tricks uh, done by Hillary Clinton. I mean, it is amazing that everybody asks me, hey, if the Republicans become masters of their own fate and take Congress, I would hope that they do an inquisition on Hillary Clinton and Holder and all those characters. They're as crooked as a dog's hind leg. 
And we all know it, but she has been pulling this stuff. If you look back at her track record, it's not dissimilar to some other things that she, especially her, everyone says who's close to the situation, that she's much worse than Bill. Bill has a charming side to him. He's able to disarm. He plays his saxophone. He gets out there and rocks and rolls and this and that. And he's kind of a, a good BS or he's got a good pickup line and all that stuff. A lot of men have a lousy pickup line. Uh, I don't see how they get by in the world uh, shooting, uh, working the way they do. But um, he's apparently got a pretty smooth one. And, and so he's, he can disengage, but she can't. Uh, people just loathe her and want to cross to the other side of the street and walk on the other sidewalk when they see her coming. Uh, but she right now is scot-free out on the bricks, out on the pavement. And meanwhile, we've got this dupe, Cheney. You know, Pelosi, I don't know what Pelosi had to promise Cheney. I wish good old buddy Rush Limbaugh were around. He would know. But they, they had to promise her something uh, that when you get to be, and by the way, in my own in Wyoming, she's out there trying to get uh, 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 Democrat voters to switch the Republican Party to vote for her. Now that may be one of the deals. I mean, but I don't I don't know if she can pull that off. We're watching that race pretty closely. If she's gonna pull that off, that's gonna be a, a real real something to do. In other words, she's making a deal. Okay, I'm a Republican. I'm gonna lead to inquisition on a Republican president who has been the target ever since he came down the stairs uh, of, of loathing and, 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 and contempt. Um, and, and, and if you let, if I do this, then you Democrats in Wyoming have got to switch parties to the Republican Party and vote for me, at least get me through the primary. You know, I think she'd be in primary, I'm pretty sure. But I've been keeping one eye open on her out there. And I don't know if she's going to make it. You know, it's, it's, it's a very, it's really the only race right now that's it's, it's, it's big it's kind of the canary in the, in the mine shaft it's big what wyoming does with her will, will sort of tell you whether or not there is any uh, real strong uh, power groups together that hang together stick together fight together all that kind of business otherwise um you're not you're not gonna know up from down hey i'm gonna take a break in a minute but before we do i'm gonna ask uh and my, my good buddies in production, I can't work without them. I, I really appreciate the way these uh, guys back me up. Uh, Evan, in particular, has been by my side most of the time. Um, this is funny. I want a little comic relief before we go into the bottom. There's, you know, AOC, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, is an attractive woman. I mean, some guys don't think so, but I think she is. I think there's some things about her. Take away the politics. If you just saw her going down the street, you would turn your head. I mean, I think most males would. But that's as far as it goes, because once she starts talking, why well, she turns you off. I mean, she's nuts. I mean, but yes, they get back. Some guys like crazy women. But, but I, I, I'm running the other way from them. But, but uh, this guy, evidently, we're going to show you here. When I get the thumbs up from my guys in the production, I'll let you know. But not quite yet. But these guys... This some guy's obviously obsessed with her, and uh, he's kind of following her around, and he sees her going up to the steps to the Capitol building. And can we run it now, uh, Evan? Let's see. Okay, we're going to run this. This is kind of funny. 
Si, my favorite big booty Latina. I love you, AOC. You're my favorite. She wants to kill babies, but she's still beautiful. You look very beautiful in that dress. You look very sexy. Look at that booty on AOC. That's my favorite big booty Latina. I love it. My favorite, AOC. Nice to meet you, AOC. Look how sexy she looks in that dress. Woo, I love it, AOC. Hot, hot, hot like a tamale. See, my favorite big booty Latina. I love you, AOC. You're my favorite. She wants to kill babies, but she's still beautiful. You look very beautiful in that dress. You look very sexy. Look at that booty on AOC. That's my favorite big booty Latina. I love it. My favorite, AOC. Nice to meet you, AOC. Look how sexy she looks in that dress. Woo, I love it, AOC. Hot, hot, hot like a tamale. See, my. Okay, there we're going to probably run that one more time. I mean, that, that is really something, but there's somewhere along here, I've got to, in my midnight auto yard here, I've got the actual narrative uh, that was going on there um, <laughs> in the conversation. And there was some give and take there in the conversation where <laughs> she was accusing him of this. And, he was accusing her of that, but he seems to be absolutely, he's not rattled at all about it. He's having fun. And, uh, you know, why not? If these doggone people can be mean and uh, parade in front of the, the uh, justices, Supreme Court justice houses, and, and then they harass one of the justices out of a restaurant, uh, they have no sense of humor, okay? But uh, this side, you know, this guy has a sense of humor. I guess we'll run it one more time. And out of that, we'll go right into the break. So if you haven't seen it before, this is a, this is a guy who, who likes a, a needle in poor, poor old Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, hey, by the way, just before you run it, are you running it? My favorite big booty Latina. I love you, AOC. You're my favorite. She wants to kill babies, but she's still beautiful. You look very beautiful in that dress. You look very sexy. Look at that booty on AOC. That's my favorite big booty Latina. I love it. My favorite, AOC. Nice to meet you, AOC. Look how sexy she looks in that dress. Woo, I love it, AOC. Hot, hot, hot like a tamale. Okay, there you are. Now, here's the narrative I found in my midnight auto yard. It's kind of funny. Uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said she wanted to, quote, she wanted to deck. Isn't that a neat word? I hadn't heard that for a long time. Uh, she wanted to deck a heckler who called her his favorite big booty Latina. <laughs> Oh, my God. He called her his favorite big booty Latina while he was filming her walk up the Capitol steps on Wednesday. And uh, now they, they, they have called this guy. Of course, they can't write in the press by anything without giving somebody a label. So they've called him a right-wing instigator. <laughs> right-wing instigator Alex Stein approached the 32-year-old New York Democrat and proceeded to that. This is careful, my guys sexually harass the congresswoman by calling her sexy and repeatedly commenting on her backside. And he said, of course, as you know, you're my big, you're my favorite big booty Latina. I love you, AOC. You're my favorite. And uh, uh, she was, she's walking up the steps, what you, what you saw. But what you didn't maybe hear, he says, she wants to kill babies, but she's still beautiful. You look very beautiful in that dress. You look very sexy. Look at that booty on AOC. Now, Ocasio-Cortez, as you see, starts to head toward him. But an aide sticks out an arm to urge her back. Uh, and so she flashes up the peace sign. Um, 
But and then, <laughs> oh man, and, and and she then had a separate tweet. We don't have it, but she finally took it down and said she it was a deeply disgusting incident, and uh, it was someone she says clearly seeking extremist fame. <laughs> Oh, boy. There you go. That's the luck. Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. Okay. Thank you. We'll take a break here and thank our sponsors. Thank you, production. <laughs> Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Uh, Warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right. You know, we're talking about the weather now at the bottom now, brought to you by Lewis Hall, as you heard me say. Um, you know, where we are here in north central uh, Florida and the piney woods in God's country, uh, there's kind of a phenomenon now that I've been kind of watching the patterns of the weather. And essentially, whatever the, the, the degrees uh, read, uh, you can add 10 degrees to it. So if it's actually 88 out, which it is right now, you can add a, a 10 because it feels like 100. And uh, that's just the way it is because of the humidity. Uh, it's something that you, uh, can either be a negative or a positive. Now, in athletics, it's often used as a positive because athletes come here 
to uh, get their cardiovascular system revved up in this heavy humidity. So it's just one of the tortures you put yourself through to be try to be great in what you're doing. Uh, um, as I say, the sun, uh, the days are beginning to uh, shorten up again, uh, right in the beginning of that. And um, by the fall, of course, we'll have our shortest day of the year. Um, we have got, um, uh, as I say, a lot of humidity, about 92% humidity, not much wind right now. Uh, the, air quality, the air quality is good, uh, but and our tree pollen is low. Uh, but the mold, as I say, is high, and the dust is pretty high if you haven't had any rain where you are. And the rain is pretty uh, spotty. It's, uh, you know, it can be raining on one side of the road, so to speak, and not raining on the other. Now, in this county in Virginia, where we were just talking to Plantation Mark, um, this is really a, a flood. You know, I once, let me give you a little, let me give you, a, yesterday or a couple of days ago, I asked you about wander, wonder, and yonder. <clears throat> Now I want to uh, ask you a question that was asked of me by James Dickey. Um, James Dickey was the poet laureate of the United States of America. He wrote also uh, the book Deliverance and wrote the screenplay for Deliverance and actually was in the movie Deliverance. He was the sheriff in Deliverance and he was a good friend. And I'm in his uh, biography, uh, cited and quoted quite a bit because when uh, uh, James Dickey came here to be the poet in residence for, uh, I think it was six weeks, he and I spent a lot of time together. And so when uh, Jim Dickey died, uh, his biographer spent a lot of time talking to me about what our moments together were like. They were always very, very interesting. But one day he and I were riding around and uh, he said, uh, uh, Ward, what do you think is the most frightening natural disaster? Well, you know, that's another one of those questions that most people don't ever ask you. Um, you can go through a lifetime and not have anybody ask you that. What do you think is the most frightening natural disaster? Man, I don't know. I came up with the wrong answer. I, I said, maybe, maybe it's fire, you know, because you know, fire, man, I'm telling you, you've seen, you see what it does. Um, uh, I don't know. There's other possibilities. There's an earthquake. Um, there's hurricanes. All those answers are the wrong answer. And of course, the wrong answer is not a provable, if you will, wrong answer, but it's a common sense uh, argument that you can win by persuasion or whatever. So he said, well, for me, he said, and he put it that way. So he really wasn't trying to convince me. But as soon as he said it, the answer, uh, well, I agree. He said for him, the most frightening natural disaster and he didn't call it a flood. He called it rising water. And, you know, I got to thinking about that. Of course, the flood is what starts Genesis. It's the whole thing. It cleans the world first time of sin. It's promised that next time it will be fire. But it was a, a flood. Um, I think, true. I think he's probably convinced me, even though he wasn't trying to, that rising water is the most frightening natural disaster. Why? Let's go through the conversation. You can put a fire out. An earthquake lasts, what, 10, 15, 20 seconds, maybe? I don't, it stops. Um, hurricanes go away. Tornadoes leave. But rising water just keeps coming. 
And in terms of anthropological time, take a look at these civilizations that are results of serious changes in water and where it was and where it wasn't long before there was any of this false ideology about climate change. The climate's always been changed with or without man. So when I read that in this county in uh, Buchanan County, Virginia, there were flood victims, it, it brought back my conversation with Jim Dickey. Um, so these people, you know, flood insurance, I have a friend who is in the flood insurance business. And I understand that one of the reasons Southern Fidelity, for example, pulled out of the state of Florida, all of its insurance coverage is because of the high risk of insuring homes near the ocean and the Gulf. And you know, we're building these things, as you know, around Pensacola, you've seen the damages uh, all over, all, around all the way down Daytona. We're building this stuff right next, next to water. And to insure those places, uh, you got to be, you know, you got, you're going to take a hit if you're the insurer. So some insurance companies are pulling out of the state of Florida, most notable of which has been recently Southern Fidelity. So um, this flood in Buchanan County, uh, from what I'm reading here on the newswire, uh, destroyed 100 homes in rural Virginia. I destroyed 100 homes. Um, the eastern areas of the county saw up to eight inches of rain on grounds that are used for coal mining in the Appalachians. So the floodwaters rushed down those steep terrain and swelled the creeks and washed the homes off their foundations. Um, it happened within 30 minutes Tuesday night. Water came rushing into the town and within 30 minutes, my friends, it was waist high and uh, neighbors suddenly were having to pull one another to safety to try to get out of that rising water. Um, it, it, it is a place called Pilgrim's Knob, which used to be the main street. It's now a dirt road. Um, two, entire homes are just washed into the river. Um, it's like they dropped a bomb on the place. It looks like a war zone, said one of the third generation residents. Um, it is um, unrecognizable territory in, in some places. And uh, the mail carrier, Darlene Osborne, who's been driving through these same routes for 18 years, um, said that, you know, her route, she doesn't even recognize anymore. The whole, the lives of these people are destroyed and a lot of them don't have flood insurance. Um, so there you are, there's no electricity, uh, no water, no cell phone service, uh, wards, uh, roads are washed away, infrastructure is, uh, 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 is gone. Um, so there you are. I happen to think, I agree with uh, Mr. Dickey, Jim Dickey, look him up, by the way, we're talking about, you know, I've been very privileged to have uh, been uh, good friends with a lot of really smart, famous people. Um, my, I, am, I was, first of all, blessed with the acceptance of me by them. You know, if you've got limited amount of time in your life, and we all do, a lot of people really that are kind of annoying 
um, they're immature. They're not, they don't really have many. I have friends like this. They send me everyday things that are childish, I think. These are grown men. They'll send me little jokes or they'll send me a little. And I think, is this all these guys do? Is this all, don't they read? Uh, don't they really think? Is this the level at which they, they spend their time? Um, you know, it's just, it's just the way some, but I've been very fortunate to be around some very, very bright people. Uh, Jim Dickey, the poet laureate, of course, Capodia was around, uh, around Peter Taylor. Uh, Nelson Algren wrote Man on the, uh, Walk on the Wild Side, Man with a Golden Arm. <clears throat> um, you know, I, I can't, I'll run out of uh, fingers and toes here before I, before I mention all of them. And I just found them to be very interesting. And I was very, very much pleased that I was found by them to be interesting. So it was always conversation. You know, conversation is an art. It's not a, it's not a, it, it's not a uh, science. Um, I don't know what I'm going to say when I start this show. I have uh, some kind of bulleted points, but I don't know what I'm going to say about them until I start talking about them. So that's the art of conversation. Um, I'm also amused, by the way, about um, the fact that um, this is constant, and uh, you know, I'm sure Putin is, is kind of amused by it too. This constant, 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 relentless chatter about race. And as Thomas Sowell said, who is a great intellect, a great mind, um, one of the really powerful thinkers, black fellow, I don't care about that at all, just a smart guy. Um, if you want to stop racism, stop talking about it. Simple as that. As simple as that. But we do exactly the opposite. And where is it most prevalent that we, you would think that the great intellectual universities, if you want to call them that, university means universal, a kind of a universal acceptance of all these possibly conflicting ideas that you learn to uh, navigate your way through, uh, discuss, uh, debate, uh, all that kind of business, you would think that they would be, that would be the definition of university. But it's been so changed by, once again, political intrusion. Um, here, here we have a headline that was in the Gainesville Sunset today. I, I don't go looking for this stuff, but it, it irritates me. UCF removes anti-racist statements from its department websites. And I, I said, what? and of course they blame it on DeSantis. They blame it on De I mean, you know, DeSantis has come through, and by God, he won't let us. Uh, he won't let us, uh, uh, you know, put these things up. So I got to look, you know, and, and it's uh, DeSantis is got this act that he signed in the law called Stop Woke Act. Um, so I went looking through here, um, and here's what it is. It's in the Anthropology Department website. Supposedly, if this is correct, this writer has got this right, uh, Mike Snyder, Associated Press. Quote, we acknowledge that many of us are born with unearned privilege. What? What? 
while others are denied basic human rights. That's from an anthropology department. An anthropology department takes a huge, huge look at mankind. My very great friend who since passed, with whom I team taught, and you can go to YouTube and look it up, it's out there, Ward Scott and Stuart McCray. We team taught anthropology. He taught anthropology and I taught uh, writing and we team taught. And Bob Leitner, who ran the television studio at Santa Fe College, filmed it and it's on YouTube. Go look it up. And the reason I would do that with Stuart McRae is because we were taking a 10,000 year look. A man. I, if I, I would never put something like this anywhere. Imagine I put something like this on the Ward Scott Files website. Can you imagine me doing that? We acknowledge that many of us are born with unearned privilege. You know what a narrow view that is of birth? You know how that reduces the actual phenomenon of being born into some little piddly subcategory? Do you know that people are born blind? People are born precocious? People Thalidomide babies are born without arms. What are they talking about? From the moment you enter, well, what Randall Jarrell calls fall into the state. See, when you're born, you fall. There's a brilliant line in the Battle of the Baltimore Gunner. Fall into the state. What this guy is talking about, without knowing what he's talking about evidently, is when we are born, we are owned by the state in which we're born. And by the state, which is capitalized in the poem, Battle of the Ball Turned Gunner, we mean the government. When you are born, and I am born, and your unborn child is born, that child will fall into a state that will own that child and loan that child back to you. You understand that, right? The state has the power to take your child away from you if you are shown to be incapable of being a human being with that child. You, every child is on loan from the state. Now, there's all this talk about when is the child a child? And the term, could that child, if aborted, have lived outside the womb? 
is really seems to be the line that defines when the child is a child. Some push it back to when you first have anything beginning to form and say, well, if we took that out of the womb, it wouldn't live anyway. You see the problem. But it still is all being done within a state. And the line goes, from its belly, I fell into the state. So what is this verbiage about being born with unearned privilege? While in the rest of the sentence that's on the website, while others are denied basic human rights. What in the heck are you talking about? You're an anthropologist. The statement furthermore said, if this is properly written by this writer, I'm quoting for the Sunset article. We decry the history, commit ourselves to rectifying it, and stand with those working to build an anti-racist future for our nation. B.S. That's not the purpose of the anthropology department. That is not the purpose of going back and looking at the time when hunters and gatherers became ag agricultural people. That's a huge change. Agriculture could support larger populations and hunters and gatherers. See, the Native Americans were hunters and gatherers. They didn't possess property. That wasn't a concept. It just wasn't a concept. They were pagans and they had enormous respect for the natural world because they recognized they were interwoven with it. But agriculture, are you going to really call the agricultural phase of man's development racist? Agricultural realized we can intensify production of food and free the rest of us for other toil. And suddenly you have cities, you have great cities. You would learn that in anthropology. So they're blaming this on sense. A professor has decried, get this, an infringement on academic freedom in the wake of the passage of a Republican-backed law that restricts how late race can be taught. You know, I got to harken back here a moment, my friends. It's out on the, it's out on the uh, website. Uh, got it here somewhere. Here it is. It's out on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. I've covered this before. I'm going to go over it one more time with you. This would leak to me with, with a trembling hand. I got so much crap here. I don't know what to do with it. This was leaked to me by a trembling hand from somebody within the University of Florida in the dance department of all things. 
the dance department was labeled a racist department. Well, guess what provoked all that? The dance department hired a black woman. I've got all of her. Let me just take this thing apart here and go through it again. I, I don't know if you want to. You can go see it. Uh, who brought this whole chip on her shoulder? I don't know if I'm saying it right. Anya Ozuzu. And here's her curriculum via. And why did they do that? Why did the dance department do it? They did it to be politically correct. And if you look at the professional honors, hey, listen, I know about resume writing, okay? I know guys that all they do is pad their resume. That's all they do. Every single time they go to the toilet, so to speak, it becomes a resume entry. So this resume, if you look at it on paper, my God, I've got it here. Ye gods, let me count the number of pages. How, how many ways do I love these? Let me count you. One, two. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on and on. All this, all this stuff, which on paper, you would think, wow, boy, that person's really got, got it together, right? But then let me tell you what was smuggled to me. The faculty members of the dance area emphatically condemn global anti-blackness. We stand with countless Americans in affirming that black lives matter. We also recognize that the field of dance, here you go. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? We also recognize that the field of dance has been built upon and benefited from white supremacist beliefs policies and practices in a variety of ways. We acknowledge many artistic institutions and academic dance programs, including our own, continue to reproduce and uphold white supremacy, even as some artists, educators, and administrators have worked long and hard to dismantle it. That's from the University of Florida and it's addressed to UF dance students. Call, hey, listen, get on a call, get on a call. And, well, it's time to get off now. You didn't do it. I mean, it's incredible. What time is it? Later than I think. It's incredible. That's it. I, I can't take any more of it. I'm going to sign out production. Is I'm, I'm, I'm missing anything. Got it all in. Okay. God, I, I've had enough. I'm going to the range. Um, Take care, brothers. Have a good weekend.